Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. I was going to give you guys index cards this morning uh, and, and to answer a couple of questions on these index cards. And I decided, uh, along with the sermon prep team, that that would be logistically and, and other ways a little awkward. So I'm just going to ask you these questions, and then I want you to just kind of hold them in your mind as we go through this morning's message. So the first question is this, super important question. In fact, this is the focus of my sermon. God is looking at you right now, every single one of us. You have his undivided attention. Now, that can either be comforting or scary, intimidating or, or, or awe-inspiring. But he has his eyes on you. In your heart of hearts, in your mind, in your heart, in your emotions, what do you think God thinks of you, and how does he feel about you right now? Super important question. How is he seeing you? How does he feel about you right now? Just take a minute to think about that. Second question I want to ask is how do you tend to act and feel, feel and act around people that are important to you, but you don't feel like they quite accept you for who you are? Like you're just not certain that you're okay with them. Like maybe they're just not, you know, quite certain that you're okay just being you. How do you tend to feel around people like that? How do you tend to act around people like that? Well, let me just share with you the answers to those questions for myself because I've, you know, I've had to think this through as I've prepared this message. First of all, you know, I had a seminary professor who said, you know, there's a, there's a huge difference sometimes between our theology, theology means the study of God and the understanding of God, and our neology. By the way, if I have a coughing fit, I, I apologize. I feel like maybe one's coming on here, but just pray for me that I don't kind of lose it, but I'll come back if I do, you know, unless I pass out, whatever, you know. But he says there's a huge difference between our theology and our neology sometimes. Our neology is the God that we face when we pray in, in, in relationship. Does that make sense? So our theology may be that God is good and he's a good father and he's gracious and he's generous and loving and all those things, merciful. But then when we come before him, there's a hesitancy there's a, there's a, a, a bit of a fear. There's, there's, some, there's some unsureness that we're really okay in his presence. Man, I remember back early days at the church when I would come into this room to pray. I would often feel like I had to spend the first 15, 20 minutes of my prayer time just sucking up to God. Does that make sense? Like, God, I'm so sorry that I'm, I'm this and I didn't do that. And, and I mean, honestly, I would spend 15, 20 minutes just trying to get on his good side again, confessing all kinds of stuff because I was such a, 
a disappointment. And guys, honestly, that's the thing I think I struggle with the most is that I feel like, like I'm so inconsistent sometimes in my walk, in my life, in, in, in my prayer life, in, in you know, reading the word and in, in, in being, you know, doing this stuff and putting Jesus on display and all those things that we've talked about that in terms of performance, you know, I, I just don't quite cut it. And so I feel like sometimes the Lord is just disappointed. The Father is looking at me with disappointment. Anyone relate to that? You don't have to raise your hand. Just Yeah, thanks, Steve. Steve and I, we have that. Yeah, we're brothers. But, um, but yeah, sometimes I just feel like I'm a disappointment. And that, that's, uh, that kind of runs deep in my life because I felt, I felt like for a lot of years growing up, that's, that's how I was in my family. So if you're not sure that, that you're okay, if, if you feel like you know, God is looking at you with a frown and with, a, with you know, kind of his arms folded across his chest, just kind of like, ah, Dennis, why can't you get your act together, man? Look at you. You, did, you. you blew it again, and you didn't do this again and that again. And, you know, man, uh, you know, I, I think that our tendency is to... And, and, and if we don't, if we're around people that we just don't feel like like us or, or, or we're okay just being who we are, there's a guardedness, there's a, there's a distance, there's, a, there's, a, there's some fear, there's a hiding, there's, you know, we, we, we just aren't sure about the motive of that person, you know, if, okay, if you don't like me, if I'm not okay, then what are you going to do with me, especially if you're God, who is the first? Who are the first people to struggle with that? Think about it. Adam and Eve. It's exactly what they struggle with. Once Satan put those questions in their minds about his goodness and about his motives and about how he related to them and, and that he was holding back from them, and they, they you you can't really trust him, and he's not truthful with you. You surely will not die, he says, uh, the enemy says, if you eat this fruit. He just knows that in the day of you eat, it, you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll know good from evil. And they bought the lie. And then afterwards, of course, they hid in the bushes and they put on fig leaves, basically masks, and, and they, 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 you know, they were afraid. And that's kind of been the human condition since then. And so, what about that? Like, what has God done about that for you and me? Because that is, I'm telling you, let me just say this really clearly, and I'm going to say it over and over again, because this is the primary point this morning. Your belief about the way God sees you and feels about you is the most impactful thing in your life in terms of how you live in this life, on this planet. Now, it's not the most important thing in your life in terms of like Christ's salvation, what Jesus has done for you, your faith and, and all that sort of thing. All those things are important, but in terms of how you live your life and how you walk through this life emotionally, relationally with God and with other people, even with yourself, so much of it depends on the answer to that first question. And if, you don't, if you're not sure that you're okay, then you're going to live a life of angst, anxiety, 
of fear, of hiding, of putting on a mask, of just not being okay, not feeling okay. Waking up in the morning with a knot in your stomach and a lump in your throat and thinking, how am I going to get through this day because, ah, I'm just a loser. Like, I'm just not cutting the grade. That's how you feel. And there's one of two ways to deal with that. If the relationship with God has not been taken care of by Christ, and Dennis and I, our, our, our whole point of this series is Christ has taken care of this problem for you and for me. He solved it for eternity by one sacrifice. He has perfected forever those who are being made holy. So you've been perfected in your spirit, you're being made holy in your soul, and that's his responsibility, that's God's job. But in the meantime, the blood of Jesus has covered you. The Father has run out to meet you and thrown his robe of righteousness around you and hugged you in your pig slop and invited you home to celebrate you as a conquering hero. That's who you are. That's who we are. And nothing is going to change that. It's the gospel. It's the scandalous gospel, guys. It's scandalous. And the relationship, see, see, God in eternity, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, they know us already. It, an eternal God never comes up with a new idea. He's known you and me for all eternity. He knew our names, our our hair color, our eye color. He knew exactly how he was going to knit us together in our mother's womb. He knew what he was calling us to and for. He knew that he wanted us to be with him for all eternity as sons and daughters. He knew that in eternity. And he also knew that, that we would go through the fall and that Jesus would have to come and suffer and die. He knew every aspect of the suffering of the Son of God, God the Son. And they still felt like you and I were worth it to go through that. And that's the heart of God. That's the love of God. Those songs we sang this morning, hey, listen to me. You who are parents, man, when I heard my son say to me in a text message, I'm scared because I'm sitting up with my daughter and she's not breathing well. I wanted to climb through the phone. I wanted to get to him. I wanted to wrap my arms around my son and my granddaughter and my daughter-in-law and just love them. Some of you have experienced your children walking away from Christ. Walking away from the church, walking away from their faith. But have you abandoned them for that reason? Will you ever abandon them? So, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven be a good father is what he's saying. If we're not going to abandon our children, why would he abandon us? Are we better than him? Do we have more compassion than him? More mercy? More grace? No. Have we died on a cross for our children? No. By the way, Jesus didn't come to save us from the Father. Jesus didn't intervene so God's wrath wouldn't reach us. The wrath of God is poured out against sin, not sinners. He's, it's poured out against the cancer of sin that was destroying us, and, and Jesus saved us from that. 
Guys, God loves us. He's a good father. There's nothing in him that is against us. And yet we, you know, I mean, guys, there's always been religious zealots that are going to tell us otherwise. You know, my favorite parable of all times is the parable of the prodigal son. And really, it's the parable of the loving father. And there's two people in that story that represent two things. Now, there's three, there's three things that start with an R. I didn't, you know, mean it to be this way. But there's that right relationship with the father that neither of these boys had because they didn't understand his heart. And there's only two ways to respond to a father that you're not sure loves you and has your best interest in mind. One is rebellion, which is what the younger son did, and the other is religion, is what the older son did. The younger son said, forget you, I'm out of here. I'll go as far away from you as I can, and I'll take whatever gifts you give me, and I'll just live like I want to. Leave me alone and let me go. The other son said, okay, Dad, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to work really hard and I'm going to strive and struggle and strain and I'm going to try to earn your approval so that you'll give me a goat to have with my friends. And the father said, everything I have is yours. That's what he said to the older son. Everything I have is yours. And he restored the younger son when the sorry thing came home with pig slop all over him, half naked, just wanting to be made a hired hand so that he could earn back the stuff that he squandered somehow in the far country. And the father embraces both of these boys and says, come to the party. Everything I have is yours. Religion and rebellion are the only two alternatives besides right relationship. And God has established the right relationship for us in Christ Here's what happened. The parable of the prodigal son is about the younger son coming home and the older son refusing to come in. What actually happened is that the son of God, God the son, is sent by the father to go into the far country to wrap himself in our pig slop, in our brokenness, in our wrongness, in our waywardness, in our sinfulness, and bring us back in himself to the Father. Completely cleansed, completely forgiven, completely holy and righteous in the sight of his Father. He destroyed sin on the cross. And not only that, as the last Adam, Adam plunged us as a race into sin and the curse and depravity and and death. But when the Son of God, God the Son, gets off his throne and comes down and wraps himself in human flesh, don't you know that his power to redeem us is so much greater than a human being's power to ruin us? That's what Romans 5 is about. Go back and read Romans 5. The first Adam plunged us into ruin. The last Adam plunged us into righteousness. The first Adam took sin off the tree, put it in himself, and and let the cancer of sin run through the human race. The last Adam came and took all that cancer and put it in himself and put sin back on the tree. And he took you and me with him. We died with him on the cross because he was the man. 
completely obedient to the Father's will all his life. Unlike Adam, he obeyed the Father at every turn and then switched places with the rebellious race of human beings, took us in himself as our representative human being and was crucified, and we died there with him. Read Romans 6. We died on that cross with him. We were buried with him, and we were raised to live a new life. And once we put our faith in him, we, we enter into the Father's embrace. You know, one of the things that I've realized, and, and I don't think this is heresy at all. I think this is very, very biblical. Read 2 Corinthians 5. It says, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's transgressions, their sins against them. What? Have you ever heard that before? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. That means the human race, reconciling the world to himself. Now, we can reject that. We can say, no, thank you, Jesus. I don't want your righteousness. I'll, take, I'll, I'll go my own way. You know, the prodigal son was dead until he came home. <laughs> the father said it. He was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, now he's alive. As long as he stayed out there in the far country, he was dead to the father. And the father really, but when he came home, as soon as he started making his way home, the father met him, brought him in, threw a party. Guys, that's us. And, and, and we're not, so Jesus has dealt with sin. When, when, I, when I talk to people about salvation, I don't do the sinner's prayer any longer. I just tell them, Jesus died for your sins. He's dealt with that. Would you just ask him into your heart so that you can have this relationship with him? Because like I said, it's relationship, rebellion, or religion. Okay? Let me just read to you Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. This, Dennis, oh, by the way, so here's the, <laughs> almost forgot. This is the series title, Embracing God's Embrace. The Father has embraced us in his Son, but you and I have to embrace that in order to benefit from it. If we reject that, if we reject that, then we're going to live either in rebellion or religion. We're going to keep our distance we're going to perform for God. We're going to try to do all the right things and not do all the wrong things. Or we're going to say, you know what? That's just too hard. I don't want to live that way. I'm just going to live the way I want to and forget you, God. It's, I mean, it really, it's, if you don't have a, a relationship with God through Christ and embrace the Father's embrace, then you're going to live in one camp or the other, either in rebellion or in religion. And I've lived in religion. Listen, listen, I want to tell you something before I read the Scripture let me tell you something. I grew up, um, I, I was a very compliant child. I was, I was a people pleaser. I wanted people in authority to like me. I wanted to stay out of trouble. I wanted to, I, I wanted to be a good boy. I really did. And my brother came out of the womb saying, oh yeah, make me. I mean, seriously, polar opposite personality. Oh, yeah, make me. And I was like, just tell me what to do, you know. And so, my, I, you know, I, my, my, my parents would go to these parent-teacher meetings, and, 
you know, the teachers would always say this about me because I was a terrible reader and I wasn't good at math and all that stuff. They're, they're like, you know, Neil's not the sharpest crayon in the box, but he's well behaved. Yeah. My brother, on the other hand, thought he was Chuck Norris by first grade. I think he had a fight with every kid, every boy in first grade within two months of school starting. And he, I mean, he almost got kicked out of school for fighting every day. Like he just, I don't know, he just had this thing about him where he just was cantankerous and he wanted a challenge, you know? And, and he'd start fights if someone didn't start them with him, you know? And so, and so my brother, so he was getting really bad grades in what they called citizenship, it's behavior. And so my brother sat, I mean, my dad sat us down and he said, look, boys, he's like, you don't have to be the sharpest crayon in the box, but you do have to make A's in citizenship. And if you bring home anything less than an A, you're in big trouble. My brother could give a rip, honestly. He couldn't care less. I was absolutely terrified. And so I, I, I went through grade school, with a, you know, later grade school, and, and even into junior high with a knot in my stomach, afraid that I was going to get my name on the board and get an A- minus in citizenship, and I was going to be in trouble, whatever that meant. My brother, I, I don't know, he didn't get expelled, but, you know, I remember in fourth grade him knocking some kid across the desk. I mean, he just didn't stop. But, but the point is this. You know, a, after my dad laid down that law, I started kind of keeping my distance from my dad. I started, I started you know, kind of, you know, tiptoeing around. I, I didn't want my dad to be upset with me. I, you know, he had laid down the gauntlet there, and I just remember never feeling like I was quite measuring up after that. And so I remember the moment that changed for me. As I got, you know, into high school, my dad relaxed some of his standards when it came to behavior. And I I was already a good kid, and he knew it. Uh, you know, I mean, not that my brother was a bad kid, but he was. But anyway, <laughs> he was. <laughs> um, I guess that's what it takes to be a hard-nosed businessman. But uh, anyway, um, <coughs> excuse me. I remember my dad. Uh, well, I, I remember my senior year of high school. I I felt like a total failure. It kind of caught up with me this whole performance thing, and and. Uh, I just remember feeling like I was really a failure as a as a as a student, as a high school student. My like my best friends in high school were valedictorian in one school, and then I moved my senior year, and my best friend my senior year was a senior class president, and we hung around with all these kids that were in you know uh, all these clubs and National Honor Society and all this stuff. And the only thing I did was run track and cross country. I I really didn't do much else besides just try to you know get through my senior year of high school. And so I felt like a failure. And so late spring of that year, I wrote my dad a letter and just apologized for being such a loser of a son and stuck that letter under his pillow. And this was like just before he got home from work. I have no idea how he found that letter before he went to bed that night. I have a sneaking suspicion that my ninja mom knew, knew it was there somehow because she's like spider sense, you know, spidey senses, I, I don't know, but... I was just so exhausted. I cried myself to sleep to take a nap that, you know, after I put that letter under his pillow. I was just really depressed, and, and uh, I'd been asleep for about, I don't know, half an hour, and all of a sudden, my dad woke me up, 
and he's kneeling by my bed. And he's like, son, I just found your letter. And he's like, I just want you to know, I just think you're a great son. I don't see you as a loser at all. I don't see you as a disappointment. You're awesome. And he just started telling me all the ways that he loved me and appreciated me and the things that he, and I mean, I'm not saying this guy, I mean, I was a, I was a teenager, you know, teenagers are stupid. Some, some teenagers, I, I was anyway, but they can be. No offense to any teenagers here. But I just remember him hugging me and kissing me on my, my cheek, and, and I cried, he cried. And from that moment on, our relationship significantly changed. And by the time I was in college, we were best friends. Like, I, I'd rather spend time with my dad than any of my friends. Do you see, that, see what happened there? The relationship got corrected. I began to believe that my dad not only loved me, but he liked me. That I wasn't a disappointment in his eyes. And that I was accepted by him. I was appreciated by him. He liked who I was. And it changed everything about my relationship with him. Talking about this whole growing up thing. I, I was in a, a conference uh, a couple months ago in um, World of More Power. And one of the workshops, the speaker said, talked about soul nutrients that kids need when they're, they're developing as children. The, the, soil, the soul nutrients, there's four things that they need in order to develop into you know, a healthy self-image and, and, and become healthy emotionally. And these are the four things. Number one, that they belonged. That, that, that they weren't some accident. That they actually, even if they were an accident, that they were accepted and embraced and belonged. Number two, that they were loved for who they are, not for what they did. Just love for who you are, not for what you do. You don't have to perform to be loved. You're just loved. Number three, that your life has significance and purpose. Every kid needs to know that their life has significance and purpose. And finally, their identity. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. You're a man like me. You're a woman like your mother. Fathers tend to give their children identity. Their identity. And and if you grew up without a father... Hopefully you had some you know, significant male that, that ministered to you and, and, and you navigated those waters and got through it. But, but that whole father wound thing is a big deal. And, and I, I want to say this, of those four things, the most important of those, all of those is to know that I'm loved not for who, what I do but for who I am. Because everything else hangs on that. And it's the same way with your relationship with God. If somehow you don't know that you are loved for who you are, and you feel like you're a disgust or a disappointment uh, or, or that God's frustrated with you or angry with you, you're going to live a life that, of torment, basically. I mean, it may not be like super horrible torment, but down in the depths of your soul, there's going to be a lot of fear and anxiety. There's going to be a lot of, 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 you know, putting up mask and, and fig leaves and, and keeping your distance. And the relationship is not going to be what it needs to be. And, and you're, gonna, you're either going to rebel or you're going to perform. You're going to go towards religion. No wonder what we think God thinks of us and how he feels about us is the most impactful thing in our lives. And what Dennis and I want to tell you 
as clearly as we can speak. And I'm learning this myself all over again. Man, I came up with that disappointment because of inconsistency thing really quickly when I thought about how God saw me. What we want to tell you is that you're embraced by the Father in his Son. That you're accepted in the beloved. That what Jesus has done for you, he's also done with you and to you. And he's brought you into the Father's embrace. And whether you see it or not, whether you realize it or not, and whether you even believe it fully or not, you are loved just for who you are. And the Father not only loves you, he likes you. And you're in his embrace. And the sooner you embrace that fact, the sooner you will get free. The sooner you can relax. The sooner you can enter into the rest of the believer it talks about in, Romans, in Hebrews 4. Because there's still a rest that we can enter into where we can stop working for God's approval. We don't have to keep the law. We don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. We, we don't have, you know, it's not that you know, we're lawless. It's just that obedience out of love is so much better than obedience out of law. One is death, honestly. One is the power of sin, by the way. The power of sin is the law, it says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. But if we obey out of love, if we surrender out of love, then we have this incredible, relaxed, restful, enjoyable, relational relationship with the Father through the Son in the Spirit. And that's what we want to convince you of. You are loved. You are embraced. Guys, the good news is good news. And it's eternal good news. And, and uh, Jason Adams and I were talking about this this week. Uh, Jason and I meet every week. And, and, and Jason said as we were kind of parting company, he said, you know, Neil, he said the good news is always good news. And he said we can never get tired of hearing that. It's always relevant. It's always good. And we always need to hear it. And that's why we're going to just keep pounding at home because, because, I mean, it's not that we're, I mean, this year, I guarantee you, we're, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. But Dennis and I want us to start off 2022 in the Father's embrace as individuals and as a, and as a church because that's our springboard into everything else that God's going to do in and through us. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, I, I'm just amazed that uh, I, I don't even think I went through half my notes and I don't even remember what's there, honestly. But I believe that you communicated your heart to this church this morning. And God, I want to move out from under your frown and, and that whole facade that the enemy puts up there that somehow you're disappointed with me or with us and to move into the sunshine of your smile and your grace and your acceptance and your mercy and your goodness and your love and the fact that you like us not just love us because you made us the way we are and God yeah we struggle we, we sometimes sin we sometimes blow it we sometimes are inconsistent but you have perfected us for all time and your Holy Spirit lives within us to make us just like Jesus. And you're causing all things in our lives to work together for our good so that we are conformed to the image of Christ. 
And as long as you're doing that, and that's your job, that's not our job, the best we can do is just cooperate with that. But even when we don't, you still get it done. And God, I pray that this church can, the people of this church can relax in your love and can embrace your embrace. Just like I was able to embrace my dad's embrace that day when he found my letter and came up and, and just hugged me and kissed me and told me he loved me and how proud he was of me. Lord, I feel like that, that you want to do that to every person in this room right now. And I pray that you would do that. And God bless this series. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to invite the, oh, let me, let me read the scripture for the morning just as a, man, I should have read this earlier, but I'm sick, so I'm, I'm just going to, you know, use that as my excuse for forgetting. If you could put that up, I just want to read the scripture. For us, and I'm going to get a running start back in Romans 4, because this is the first, first couple of verses in Romans 5. For us who believe in him, for us who believe in God, the Father who raised Christ Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, Christ was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised for our justification. When he was raised, we were justified. Hallelujah. That means we were in the court of God, declared not guilty. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have been declared not guilty through faith. We have peace with God. We have, we have, have, have (laughs) peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, have (laughs) gained access by faith into this grace in which we now, now, (laughs) now stand. Now, when you look this up two weeks from now, it'll still say now. A month from now, a year from now, it's still now. You have peace with God. You have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Because God is going to share his glory with us. Ultimately. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.